It's green for go, they're racing. He says go, he says ta-da. And Tiger Tara rolls away from them on the home turn. Here comes another big boil over. Equine athleticism at its best. The king is in the castle once more. This is in one race, the rest are almost in another post. She is a star with a capital S. It's going to be a triple treat, a miracle three-peat. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed history here at Menangle. What about that? It's getting right up on the sprint lane and it's going to bolt in. Hello, welcome to the Sprint Lane, Paul Cochran with you. And look, the live show, we put it in recess for a little bit, but what we have done is we've come back as a special format to, I guess, lead us into what is one of the the biggest milestone moments that we're going to see in harness racing in a long, long time. On the 2nd of September, the Tab Eureka will take place at Tab Court Park Menangle. It is a super exciting format. We can't wait to see it play out. Now, the slot holders have been announced and we've been announcing horses as we go. There are still five to fill. Now, today, uh, I am very fortunate to have one of those slot holders with me, a man who's... um, I guess a colourful and identity when it comes to the racing industry and we are super excited to have him involved in our sport. John Singleton, welcome to the Sprint Line. G'day Paul, thanks mate. Mate, it is fantastic to have you not only on this show but in our sport. Welcome aboard. Um, I'm just never out of it. (laughs) Never out of it. (laughs) But just gambling. Yes, yes. So how does it feel to now now to have, a, I guess, a broader stake in in our sport in, in this exciting format? Well, I've been fortunate because Graham Campbell, the chairman of Trots, is uh, he's also chairman of my group of companies, and we've been friends and done business for fifty or so years. And when he got involved with Trots, he doesn't get involved with to back losers or to or to watch something with her. He wants to make it grow, and I think the the big large thinking was shown by the move from Harold Park to Menangle. I mean, yes, I was horrified too because Harold Park's buddy heritage. Wentworth Park dogs the same, but you've got to move with the times, and that's why New South Wales racing is doing so well, and Victorian racing is dying on the vine, and that's why the trots needed a chairman like Graham to get things done. And I mean, how are you going to ever get a club to and members, you know, all those membership rights to vote to move to Menangle when Harold Park's been there forever? It was just one of those great, great salesmanship jobs that now everyone it pays off it's so obvious now got some fond memories of your time at Harold Park yeah I used to go there every Friday with Emma Sperling who became deputy chairman of the Sydney Turf Club we were supposed to be studying economics which we didn't make head or tail of and so we used to go to the trots instead we used to go every Friday night as a matter of fact and and we had a, a really a really great experience at the trots really great people great plungers terrible losses <laughs> Would have been better doing economics. <laughs> but it was just part of growing up. And then I used to go with my dad. We raced greyhounds and we were going to get into trots. And I knew Jack and Bob Ingham through KFC and they just got eased out of trots somehow. The big That was big blue, however that happened. I put all their money into thoroughbreds. And I used to, uh, as I launched KFC, and Ingham's were the supplier of chickens back in the 60s. I knew them. They got me into trots and they got me into across the Theo Green. I've been in thoroughbreds ever since. And all these, but all still enjoy the racing. We got you back. What's that? All these years later, we got you back. Yeah. How well, good's that? It's such, oh, the thing that got me back was talking to Graham and saying, mate, this Everest, I mean, 
I hope I'm allowed to plug the land. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he's the best yeah. thing to happen he's to league. He's done a lot of good things for our for our Unbelievable, well. mate. Yeah. Unbelievable for racing and for rugby league. Yeah. Fabulous. Particularly through COVID. Terrific. Yep. And I just love everything he's done and the concept of the uh, of the Everest. I mean I was that <laughs> I was feeling when I first heard of it. I, I thought got all clever and thought we could buy all the slots and make money. <laughs> so I rang around and tried to get ex mates to buy a slot each, and yeah. we'd have a monopoly. We must make money. <laughs> but Peter's a bit smarter than me. He heard what was going on, and the next thing I had no slots. You saw your cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Uh, and I hope to. Uh, we've got we've got a horse this year. We hope it's chosen for a slot. But this time, when when uh, Graham said we're going to. Well, we're going to, if you're going to steal, steal the best. It's a great idea. Let's do it. So now they've set the pattern. Why can't we do the same in the trots? We can. Yep. So now we've got the Eureka, which is the Everest of trots. Yep. And it's we've got a big good lead-up system, which we'll discuss, I hope. And courses qualify the two weeks before in the lead-up race. Again, a hundred grand race, and then then the the horses have been chosen by the slot holders. They go in the big one, yep. two million dollars, which is trots the biggest race you can tell me until now. Is how much? How much was the Miracle Mile? Oh, it's a well, it's a million dollar race. We're talking about the world's richest harness race is going to be the, the world's richest yeah. harness race I mean, at nice Menangle in, in Australia. Yeah, it's a nice tagline. How wonderful is that? Absolutely, it can uh, be done. So, mate, I, I assume I can call you singer because that's yeah, the name of the race. I don't care. Yeah, well, that wasn't my idea, by the way. Yeah. Campbell's idea. I wanted to call it the Campbell. <laughs> So, it's a bit Scottish. All right. So, as we said, we we've got ten slots, and five of them have been filled. You you own one of the slots, and yes. uh, and look ever ever the uh, I guess the, the creative mind of, yeah. of you. Um, you've come up with a very unique way, and, and and to be fair, each of the slot holders has come up with a creative energy yeah. around their slot, Good. which is fantastic. You've yeah. got your own your own way that we're going to go about it, and. I guess we're announcing the Singo today. So on the twentieth yeah. of August is a race called the Singo. So that's two weeks before. Yes. Yeah. So I guess if we if we kind of I'll just breeze through the yep. you know what the format looks like. So August twentieth, it's a twenty four hundred meter race. It is for three and four year old Australian bred paces, which is important. I think that's the future of our sport, and they are the elite that are going around at the moment. Now it's it's only for those not yet selected to race in the Eureka. So five yeah. five of those slots have been filled. So what's going to happen is they're going to race. Now, not necessarily the winner of the Singo is the one that you're going to pick. You're going to pick one that's in that now, race. No, I'm going to pick the one that, yeah. in my opinion, and other people will know a lot more than I will, Yeah, that the best run might come from a horse that can't get out and can flash his home for fifth. Yep. So I didn't want to be stuck with the winner because it's not always the winner. That, I wanted to have the, still have some creative input into sure. which horse. Yeah. Of course, we're probably better off getting the winner. But first, second, third and fourth, are automatically emergencies. That's right. At least in the year. Yeah, unless you pick one of them. Yeah, yeah, unless I pick one of them. Yeah. But I might pick one of the first four. I mean, the favourite, odds are I'll pick the winner. The odds are. But I don't, didn't want to be committed to it sure. in case it was another great run yeah. lead up. So it's a choice. The first four emergencies, I can choose one of them or one outside the first four. Yeah. And that, that's chosen by me and also the club. We're in partnership on that slot. So you're right. The top four will will be the yes. so unless you pick one of the top four. But the first four, apart from what you yes. pick, 
they will be automatically emergencies for yeah. the race. Now, as we've seen in the Everest, this can happen, an emergency. You sure. Know, we, we, we saw it happen, um, you know, uh, Lost and Running got ruled out of the, the Everest and, and the tab had to go right. with Kementari on the day. So it's not necessarily they're going to be ranked one to four. They'll be a pool of horses that if some circumstance happens, they'll be able to pick from those four as one of the emergencies. It's also so, had that lead-up race yeah. two weeks before, which is called the... The Singer. Yeah. The Singer. Great name, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a 100 grand race anyway. Yeah. And the the winner of that automatically goes into the Eureka. Well, if you pick it. If I pick it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so how are you going to go about picking it? What's, What's that? How are you going to go about picking it? You're going to wrap your, you're going to have people I'll find around. out someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> So you're well, going to have people around you, yeah? Who, oh, who are going to yeah, of course. Help, you, help your talent I mean, spot. The Turnbulls, the Frost, you're crazy not to. Yep. Johnny Tap, where's Johnny? Yeah, yeah well, he was, he was in and around. Well, I had my first drive the other day. I loved it. I wanted Johnny Tap to give me another lesson so I could, <laughs> a few lessons competitively. Loved to drive in it. But it might, I wouldn't like to back me. <laughs> well, I've done it. I, I did it down at Bathurst and I wasn't uh, overly confident. But I loved it. I'd love to do it competitively where you go up the inside or out. And it's amazing. It's addictive because you, you think, what happens if my horse, how do you know your horse isn't going to run up the fr- horse in front of you? Well, they just never do. Horse is not that silly. It's not going to run up the bum of the horse in front. But they don't know the carriage they're carrying. So the danger of those wheels getting locked, I looked out the wheels. I thought, <laughs> I'm glad there's I, – I uh, we had a pacemaker. I won't tell you about my drive. It was it was a critical, criticised by Wendy Graham's wife because she trained this horse and she said, "Just go go slow the first, and then two thirds, and then go home fast." We well, had never been on a trot, never driven one, <laughs> so I started. How do you make you go fast and slow. I didn't. Well, I just sort of let it go. <laughs> it'll pick its own pace. It'll be as lazy as me. It'll go slow. And I did real good because when I went past the people, they were yelling out. I said, they're saying how good I'm doing. They were saying, so, you'll kill the horse, you're going too fast. So I gave it a bit of a whip because I've seen them do that. I thought I looked like cowboy. Upside Mix. Yes, I was Vic Frost <laughs> reincarnated. And it didn't work, buddy, because I evidently I sent it around the first track the fastest it's ever done. So maybe I've got a gift. They run for me, as they say. And maybe I didn't listen. But then it wasn't not listening. I didn't understand the pace. Yeah. So I was just doing what seemed to me natural. And then so when I had to dare, let it go and go faster, then I noticed the difference. It also kept running off the track, which, which was, of course, I wasn't driving it properly. Do you an appreciation of how talented and skilled these, uh, these drivers well, mate, are? To get they? out, you're in a box and you think, get out, get out. Mm. Well, when you've been in those things just with a pacemaker, it's not as easy. Yeah. It's not easy. It's uh, I don't know how jockeys squeeze through on those defences on I mean, Randwick. Yeah, and then throw, when you, throw a gig and a sulky yeah, in the mix. Yeah, throw well. a Royal Parade, yeah. Royal Carriage behind you as well. The good thing uh, is we, we've got some, we've got some, a really young up-and-coming fleet of drivers here in New South Wales that are so talented. I mean, and the other states have got that as well. Um, you know, the, the next generation, well, the future looks so bright of those talented, skilled yeah. rangemen and women and that's the thing, it's, it is, there's a lot of women, you know, in our sport who are so talented and, and that's what I well, love about Harvest Everything Rose. with equestrian is the women are 
yeah. killing us, mate. I mean, it won't be long. It won't be long. And so it should be. We will notice the next two weeks, the biggest, I, I think, I think soccer will be the biggest sporting event in Australia this year, bigger than the Olympics. World Cup's going to be massive, isn't it? Fantastic, mate, yeah. yeah. Um, mate, what is it? I, I know that there's a, there's a story, you, you always had your eye on being involved in the equine industry, didn't you? And, and there's a story with regards to Castle Ray Kid, mm. one that you and your dad got involved in earlier. Yeah. You, you always, I know you, you mentioned earlier you're involved in greyhounds and that, but you, it was... And pigeons. Dad a, and I raised pigeons too. <laughs> but having a horse, wasn't it? That, that was the goal. Yes, because uh, I always thought, because Dad was, didn't smoke or drink, fantastic family life I had. But I didn't realise till later on that Dad was an inveterate gambler. And coming from the Depression, being out of work for an extended period, and then spending 50 years in a battery factory, when batteries were old-fashioned, not now they're all going to be the answer to the world's electricity problems. Good luck. But he worked in it, and we always, Dad used to always sneak me down the races, Randwick, Canterbury. We'd walk, 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 walk from Enfield to Canterbury, Enfield to Rose Hill, Enfield to Randwick. We used to get a tram. And I thought, one day I'm going to have a horse because we had an uncle with a horse. He's an SP. Jackie Lynn, he ran all the SPs in Sydney. Yeah. But Dad had promised Mum he wouldn't commit any crime. So, unfortunately, <laughs> he didn't become an SP. I wouldn't have had to work as hard if he had. <laughs> but always that we'd own a horse. And we, as we had dogs, we won the Richmond Lismore Cup. We won the Richmond Cup. We travelled around New South Wales. We loved it. And pigeons was an Enfield Goulburn thing, like the bike rides used to be. Yep. And pigeons were terrific. And now I breed macaws. So that slipped on. With me, with all these yep, parrots, yep. I breed hundreds and hundreds of them. You've probably seen yep, big yep, of them. Yep, yep. And, but to own a horse, and I kept buying horses, I had the wrong advice. I, I had horses with Pat Murray, Bart Cummings, Tommy Smith, never had a winner. And I said to, uh, so I got out of it, and Jack and Bob Ingham introduced me to Theo Green. And that was the beginning, because Theo was, he was actually doing something for me, not the other trainers were doing something for them. Yep. I was a new mug. Ripped me off as much as they could, as fast as they could, and wait for the next mug. So you had a, you, you had a maiden. So you got Castle Ray Kid. You went up to Tamworth. Yes. You won a maiden together. Won a, tam, won a maiden and died the next day. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty sick to say. Well, I don't know how, yeah. how the horse improved so much and died the next day. I don't know. Right. But it was trained by uh, Jerry Harvey, his foreman, Bob Keats. He trained it. I forget who wrote it. And I won a maiden at Tamworth. And I thought, when I thought, when I get to, I was old, old, once I hit 80, I wanted to get out. I didn't want to be the old bloke yep. learning on a finish post waiting for his next winner. I saw Jack Denham and blokes look like that. I didn't want to look like that. So I decided my last batch, last lot of horses, which I better, I'll be saying this in 20 years' time, <laughs> I, hope, I called it Castle Ray Kid. Yeah. And it went out and it, it ran a ripper race. And it ran a group race down in Melbourne. Naturally, it's injured now, but it's the racing the derby, didn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the, I trained. The, I, I sold the winner of the derby and the winner of the slipper, but I didn't keep them. Yeah, <laughs> sold the wrong ones. So, I mean, that, that's that's a nice homage to your to your dad and in the in the early introduction to, to yeah the, to own to horse ownership, I guess. Yeah, you yeah. Well, we used to on that. yeah. Well, Castlereagh Kid it meant a lot to me. I don't know why it was called Castlereagh Kid. Who were the original owners? I don't know. Yeah. What was the breeding of the original Castlereagh Kid? I don't know. But I really thought this horse was a standout. It's got an injury now, probably be out forever, but it's got a reasonable trainer. Yeah. And uh, 
that was my re- that that was Castlereagh Kid just meant a lot to me because it was it took me back fifty years ago to our first winner. Yeah, tell you what, you've had a had a serious fleet of horses uh, in between. Yes, really got lucky. Really got lucky. I know you talk really fondly of Strawberry Road. Yeah, well, Strawberry Road was the beginning of of, of the greatest adventure I've ever had in thoroughbreds. But there was no thrill like uh, the different thrill when you breathe them yourself and see them come up from little puppies into foals and and you see them in a racetrack. I mean, it's such a thrill to see them to get there. There's so many things, you know, go wrong. Like last year, people say, gee, you do well. They don't realise that last year a third of my mares did not get in foal. You know, that's, that's a loss, a massive loss. It is, yeah. You paid the service fees, not in foal. You lose this year, they get a year older. Well, it's a loss to the pocket and it's a loss to the industry, mate. Because well, it's lost to the pocket. Yeah. It's lost to the business, it's lost to the fun. And it's a loss to the industry because yeah. we're not getting those elite pedigree horses put through the system. No, you think. Well. When a horse like Samantha Miss or yeah. more joyous misses, oh. Not the fun, the thrill. Some some of those horses now they're averaging a million dollars. Two hundred, three hundred grand used to buy you anything, yep. and half a million did. Then I, I was the first, I think, to pay for a million for yearlings back in, before the Chinese and Arabs decided to kick us around the park. And it's just a, a great thrill to have a good horse, but it's a greater thrill if you breed them. Yeah, well, that's where harness racing's great because the buy input, the entry point on a standard bread is is less. They're racing a yes. lot more than a, than a thoroughbred. I think you, you're very foolish if you go in thoroughbreds and think you're going to get a good horse for less than 100000 And then it costs you fifty grand a year to run. You're big on the breeding, aren't you? You've got to get the breeding right. I know I've seen you say that before. If you're not one of the top five stallions, top five trainers, top five jockeys, good luck. Yep. Yeah. Whereas with harness racing, pacing, trotting, more horses seem to come from more diverse brand of stallions and broodmares, and of course the breeding rules are different too. Mate, you mentioned more Joyce, and I see yes. you, I see your face light up. She means yeah. a lot to you, doesn't she? Yeah, well, that was the beginning of the great success we had with Strawberry Hill. We named in honour of Strawberry Road, and Strawberry Hill was a breeding I'd bought from Pam and Bruce Rose twenty five thirty years ago, and it was called Pokey Hill, and I wanted to call it in honour of Strawberry Road. It became Strawberry Hill. And I remember I had my broodmares with John Massara at Arrowfield. We shared them, 50-50, and I wanted, obviously, my mares to be in my farm so I could pat them and give them apples and pretend I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, so John and I, rather than disagree, he said, why don't we toss? I said, okay. And I got first pick, and I chose Joy Denise. And, mate, it was just the luckiest thing I ever did because yeah. Joy Denise then threw... Yeah, the whole family, it was Denise's Joy's last daughter, and she won a group one. She was the best, only really great one of Denise's Joy, one of our great horses. And from Joy Denise, I got more joyous, more strawberries. I mean, every, every every horse she threw was either a champion or threw a champion, yeah. or a group one winner. Yep, yep. And that was that was the beginning of our, our lucky run because I had strawberry road mares. There was only three in, it in the world I could get. <coughs> In America, I brought them out, and then I had Joy Denise and the Joy Denise, Denise and Joy family, and from that, we're able to have almost fifty Group One winners, and uh, more than a lot more than that Group winners generally in black types. She favourite, more Joys. No, I still, I still uh, tend towards emotionally towards Strawberry Road, because it was the biggest adventure, most fun, 
biggest win, biggest loss. I mean, <laughs> biggest robbery. I mean, the horse was absolutely slaughtered by the jockey, yeah. who admitted before he died that he butchered it. Yeah. Yet he was broke, so he had to tell the truth. <laughs> but, well, imagine in the arc, you're the favourite. Horse of the year in Germany, France, Australia. He's favourite in the Arc de Triomphe. And the whole of Australia was there. We were in the King George Sank. And my partners, I'd raced here and Kerry Packer and I had a third each. And then we had one cheers to Larry Pickering, Ronnie Duffy's dad, Murray, Jeff White, Marske fame. Yep. And it was Jerry Rose, my vet. When we went to Paris, we were so, we had an option to buy two, 10 million pounds if it won the Arc after it run the lead up. Three million if it won a place, ten million pounds then. Not like now, you can't buy a house in the water. It was yeah. ten million pounds you could have bought all of all clubs. Unbelievable. <laughs> this is in nineteen eighty something. Yeah. So it was I had to call the race for two K. Well, I'd call the uh, football successfully because I knew I knew football. Yeah. I knew the players, the shape, the walk. I I could just do it. Yeah, it was yeah. instinctive. When it came to racing, mate, I knew all the colours. I could, even now, white with the yellow, Rainbow Quest, I can see them all now. <laughs> but when I was calling, Larry Pickering was sitting beside me and if I said, and followed by, that meant I don't know. He would had to whisper to me who it was so I wouldn't have a cause, a pause in this great, fantastic midnight call of the Arc de Triomphe live from Paris. And it just, <laughs> it was just a disaster because I, I saw it jump just behind the pacemaker. It was perfect. Slipped in easy over on the fence. The track was an absolute bog, a foot of mud. It was really legitimately a foot of mud. You couldn't walk across the track without losing your shoes. And it was just no horse has ever won the leading into the straight ever in the Arc de Triomphe. And he'd won an Arc, Greville Saki, so he knew that. Yeah. No horse had ever led, and he led 100 yards before the turn. Oh. I said at the time, he's either a crook or a genius. <laughs> Turned out to be a crook. Yeah, we've got to see how naive we were. If Ray Sear and I backed it, apart from a 10 million quid winning day, if it won, we also had backed it at 300 to 1, 200 to 1, 100 to 1. <laughs> now, we stood to win millions of dollars, yeah. all of us. And Kerry Packer, quietly, what do you reckon he had? If we, if we had, if we were going to win millions, how was it to get on? And the bookies, we're only there once. So the bookies, Gravel Starkey, the bookies had a lot more incentive to get beat than we had to win. Jeez. So, I it's think we cost ourselves a. Yeah, I wish, I wish, I wish. Anyway, and then Strawberry Road, then it stayed on with Wildenstein, and he the winner of the arc that year was a horse called Cigars, and he kept wanting to keep Cigars away from Strawberry Road. So we said, look, if you want to do that, you better buy it because we're going to race against Cigars every every race. And that was our instructions. We had to race Cigars. So Daniel Wildenstein had to either cop that, see who was the better horse or bias. So we didn't get 10 million, but we did well. We paid for our expenses at the bar at King George the Fifth, And we came home and Strawberry Road then, it was not regarded as a stallion. I would have kept it here, but everyone said it'll just be another double century. That's a grand a service. Those days, 50 services, 50 grand a year, not worth X million dollars, so... And when I went to America, it was the guy who owned Cigar. Remember a guy called Alan Paulson, yeah. war hero, and he named all his ho horses after battles or, or yep. 
place where he'd had to drop bombs. And uh, he didn't think much of it either, but he had seven mares who didn't get in foal. So Strawberry Road, they went in the paddock with him. He got them all in foal. And they were late, obviously, the late, latest of his yearlings. And they all turned out to be four of them were group one winners and two of them were group winners. So yeah, good. By the to- he then had two massive books of Alan Paulson's mares. And he only had 300 and something foals in a lifetime. Now they do that in a year, as you yeah, know. Yeah. And yet it was in the top 10 stallions in America, top five for 10 years or top 10 for five years, one of those two. So it was a, but then died too young. So I only had a couple of years of. Three or four years, and then died. So it was never, and that was a great adventure, mate. What could oh, have been, yeah. and what a time we had! Yeah. What a time! Yeah. It was marvellous. So that's where we'll finish up part A of this fascinating chat with one of racing's more colourful characters, John Singleton, or as we like to call him around these parts, Singo. Hey, we're allowed to call him that these days. We're mates, and. After all, we've got a race named after him. That, of course, is the Singo. It's on the 20th of August. And as a slot holder in the inaugural running of the Eureka, that will help decide who gets Singo's spot on September 2, the inaugural running of the Eureka at Tabcourt Park Manangle. Now, make sure you keep listening. Part B just gets even better. The stories, they keep coming at you thick and fast, including this one, a stroll down memory lane. One of the more iconic moments in Australian racing history. And Singo's putting on free twoies for everyone. We can't find him. He might have already gone to the bar. Anyway, this is the members bar, and I've been throwing out that many members bar. I don't want to stay here. I'm going to the public bar, and there's going to be free piss all afternoon, and, and we can throw the members out of the public bar. Wonderful memories, of course, of the time. Belle du Jour won the 2000 Golden Slipper at Rose Hill and Singo well and truly stole the show. Now, he might just have something in store for the night that the Singo is raced at Tabcourt Parkman Angle on the 20th of August. Can't say too much. If you listen to Papi, you might just get a little inkling of what Singo's got in store for that particular night. Of course, all that leads up to the inaugural running of the Tab Eureka on the 2nd of September. Plenty to get through. Singo, forever the great storyteller. All that and more in Part B. We'll see you over there.